Manitoba Hydro released yesterday its integrated resource plan. Lots to unpack from that, but the Crown Corporation essentially released its document on how it plans to conserve, meter, charge, generate more energy for our province. Some predictions show that Manitoba will need twice as much electricity as it does now in the coming decade or so. Seems like a lot. We'll visit with uh, Byron Williams, Director of Public Interest Law Centre, the challenges that faces and the concerns his organization has over the plan as it was released and envisioned yesterday. And at 7.35, it's Thursday, Small Town Salute. We're heading to Lac de Bonnie to tell you about a special event happening over the weekend. And then a bit later on at 8.35, Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joins us ahead of tonight's big game against BC. As the labor dispute between Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries and its workers continues, impacts of the strike are being felt by local breweries and customers during one of their busiest times of the year. Global's Rosanna Hempel reports. This is it here. A seasonal New England IPA that won't be hitting Manitoba Liquor Mart shelves in time for this long weekend. It should have been already, potentially even last week, available to a lot of Liquor Mart stores. Matthew Wolf with Torque Brewing says the labour dispute means launching new beers is at a standstill. We might either see a backlog that will, you know, trickle in into the fall and into the winter. So it will definitely sort of slow things down for new releases that we're going to be wanting to put out into the market. Apart from employees striking outside the King Edward Distribution Centre Wednesday, workers returned to liquor marts after some were locked out of select stores the day before. The labour disruption is leaving some inventory in need of restocking. I didn't find what I was looking for because it was, um, the shelves were kind of bare. I don't see an issue. I mean, sure, some of the shelves are empty, but uh, that's all right. I, I understand people are going in there and buying multiple bottles, so it sounds like toilet paper for COVID. You know, there's always going to be more. Meanwhile, Manitoba Liquor and Lottery says it's being forced to close six Liquor Mart Express stores starting Thursday morning at 7 a.m. to help manage inventory across its locations. As negotiations continue, MGEU says distribution and head office members will continue striking, while others should continue to not receive inventory and refuse overtime. President Kyle Ross also criticizing MBLL's move to hire replacement staff at its distribution center. It's really unfortunate when you hire replacement workers in a job action, it extends the job action because, it, and that just hurts our workers, hurts Manitobans, and really hurts the employer because it takes more time to get this resolved. Meanwhile, over at Torque Brewing, the disruption also means a slight uptick in visitors to their St. James Tap Room. But only time will tell what the overall impact will spell for their Liquor Mart sales. Summertime, having this strike definitely is going to put a little bit of financial difficulty on our main sales, but we'll see in a couple months. Rosanna Hempel, Global News. Pandemic wasn't tough enough on so many Manitoba businesses. I, I like that analogy, though, Brett, from one of the individuals, uh, the streeter, as we call it, uh, when... Uh, in this business, we, we speak to people on the street and get their take. The toilet paper of the pandemic right now as people stock up on alcohol for the long weekend. I think we'd be seeing that otherwise, or no matter what, but the idea that we don't know when these stores are going to be open or closed has got to be frustrating. Uh, you know, I, I don't consume a ton of this stuff. Uh, once upon a time, this would have been a bigger deal to me than it is right now. But the whole idea of uh, labor on un- 
unrest in our province is is bothersome. And this is a tough one as well because of the way that it's now affecting all of these other businesses. And I know that um, I'm not going to identify the business, but it was a hospitality situation. And uh, this person was told, you're not getting your alcohol delivery for your customers tonight. So this person had to go to this store and that store and that store and that store and buy and stock up on their own. Uh, which was a rather Herculean task. And when you hear about these breweries, that they've got these new products they want to get to market uh, ahead of the long weekend, and they can't. And yet, liquor workers, we, we talked in the last half hour about the, the so-called greedflation and these grocery workers who are striking in Toronto. And uh, grocery workers went through a lot during the pandemic. So did liquor workers. And they, they went through all that stuff with the before they made the security changes, just the, the, the situations they had to deal with was crazy. So I understand why they're sort of holding the line here. They, they, they're, they're working hard and they had to put up with a lot. But when you see the effect it's having, that it's starting to spread and hurt other businesses, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it, it's it, any, any labor situation, there's, there's going to be pros, there's going to be cons, there's going to be winners and losers. And sometimes it's the customer in the end who loses. Right. And, and that's typically what ends up happening. You're right, Brad. It is the customer that ends up paying the price ultimately. But at what point do you force, do you make that decision to try and force the hand of the group that you're negotiating with? If you're the government, They've taken these lockout actions. And of course, the workers now have been without a contract for some time. They didn't just start striking the day after their contract ended. There have been negotiations, prolonged negotiations. And I don't even really have a really strong understanding as to how far apart the two sides are. They've been keeping those numbers fairly quiet. But they got they got to get this fixed because yeah. you know there's already an appetite in this province for more privatization of liquor and, and I think uh, the liquor workers here, as much as I promote the idea of a, a crown corporation controlling you know the sale of liquor here, they're walking a dangerous line here. Yeah, yeah, for sure they're going to fuel uh, the appetite for more privatization, and by they I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it is frustrating when you don't know when you're, if you're, if you got to go to the store and you don't know if it's going to be open or not, uh, but day by day, like it happened to me last week, I wandered over to the liquor store on in Osborne village and just walked over we got to the store and I saw that this was on Friday and saw the sign on the door. This store is closed. Because I had previously known that Wednesday and Thursday the stores were going to be closed, and I whatever I didn't need anything on those days, but I knew it would be open on Friday. But I hadn't because I was unplugged because I was on vacation. I didn't see that they, it had been extended into the weekend, so I, I got some egg on my face there. I eventually, you know, found a spot that was open. There were only, there were a handful open in the city, but um, yeah, the longer this goes, the I mean, our question of the day yesterday, as the strike and lockouts continue, is it time to allow grocery stores to start selling beer, wine, and spirits? And 64% say yes. Well, this is the thing. When one of the big arguments right now, take the labor action out of it, when one of the big conversations surrounding alcohol sales in our province is more access, easier access, and more convenience, creating inconvenience, 
probably isn't making your case. Yeah. This this is this is where it gets interesting for me. It's Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off this week. Do you ever ask yourself, why do I do this to myself? Tuesday morning, my contact lens, my right eye contact lens. I have an astigmatism in my right eye, and sometimes my contacts flare up spontaneously, but this one felt more like it was just time to replace the contact because it was driving me nuts all morning. I took it home the second I got or took it out the second I got home and I didn't put another one back in. I just let my eye rest. And uh, next morning, did I put in a new one? No, (laughs) because I I didn't leave myself enough time to deal with trying to gingerly open the package for the new contact because if you open it too quickly, the contact can go flying or you can rip the con. Anyway, um, so I put in the same contact Wednesday morning and I, sure enough, I got to work and it was still bugging me. I can't believe that the same item would give you the same problem in the same situation. Yeah. Seems odd, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, then, the, and then also that morning, on top of wearing the contact I should have replaced, mm-hmm. I went to bed a little too late on Tuesday oh, because geez. I have this thing where I, I don't like to get up, but I also don't like to go to bed. <laughs> There's a whole there's a whole show there. So I'm in perpetual this perpetual cycle <laughs> of self-hatred like why? Just go to bed you dummy. You know you're going to be tired in the morning and sure enough I was a zombie all day yesterday. So what are the things that you say? Why do I do this to myself? Oh, Brett. Mackling, what about you? Why don't we start with you? Okay, I I'm going to do my best not to identify the retailers in this conversation. <clears throat> But uh, I like to do things in my yard. I like to do things around my house. And there's one really big store that's more convenient to get to from my house than the other really big store that sells similar things. And so every once in a while, I will give in to the geography and to the traffic patterns that make it easier to go to store A, even though my preference is to go to store B. And five out of seven times that I go to store A, I ask myself, why did I come here? They don't have what I want. (laughs) They don't help me find what I want. And I ultimately end up having to go to store B anyway. (laughs) I know the stories you're talking about, Macklin. But we'll leave it there on Macklin's wishes. Kelly Moore, what about you? You know, after listening to you two guys, all I want to say is... I'm Dr. Fraser Crane, and I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I stay up too late, Kelly? <laughs> Dr. Kelly. Uh, well, well, Brent, I think it is your uh, fascination with everything that is TV and entertainment. But you could also uh, classify that as part of the job description. So don't beat yourself up too badly. Now, go out and have a good day. Okay. And put in your contact lenses, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it's funny. I I, I saw the the uh, topic uh, on our email earlier this morning that you send out, Brent. Uh, Brent and I thinking, geez, you know, I just I don't have a whole lot to offer. But yet, I do have recurring dreams where I'm still doing play by play, and for whatever reason, I show up at the rink without my broadcast equipment. Or I've hopped on the bus without my suit bag and without my broadcast equipment. 
or I uh, am way late showing up at the rink for uh, a game. Like none of these things ever happened in real life. And yet I, I, I always come back to dream these things and I'm thinking, why is the, you know, is there a warning in here? Is there something that, uh, you know, that, uh, that I've overlooked uh, in, in the past years of my career? Really weird thing. It's not real life, but that was the thing that came to my mind when I saw your note this morning, Brett. Here is the critical cr- question though, Kelly, in any of these it- scenarios, are you not wearing pants? <laughs> you know what you know what gmat that is a very good and, and timely question because one of the more recent dreams no i was not <laughs> and we'll leave it there just like store a and store b <laughs> sarah mccarthy what about you yeah so mine actually happened yesterday when i was at the women's bill that hat for habitat for humanity i burn really badly i know this all my whole life I've always burned doesn't matter how hot it was but it was super hot yesterday so I knew to put on a nice layer of sunscreen but I guess I should have reapplied because somehow (laughs) still got burned so and I now everyone's gonna notice it of course but um yep got a nice little t-shirt line right on my neck here my arms yeah my face isn't too bad the hard hat blocked most of that but just reapply your sunscreen baby yeah, I was. I am asking, why did I do that to myself today? <laughs> I was live on location a few years ago, maybe ten years ago, outside at a new apartment complex in Sage Creek, and I was sitting outside, mm-hmm. and just based on the way that I was sitting the whole time, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't bring any sunblock. Didn't think to bring any sunblock. I burnt half of my face. <laughs> Yeah, so just I'm, one side. I looked like Two Face from Batman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Fortier, what about you? Something I do, and I do this quite a bit, and I, I know I shouldn't do this, but it's it, it'll be before bed, so I'm like, you know, maybe just a little snack, just a little, you know. Like, last night, I ended up having some broccoli, some cauliflower, and I was like, just something small, but then all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? That meatloaf I had for dinner, the leftovers looking pretty good right now, <laughs> and so I had a huge <laughs> slice and so throughout the night, like you're not working it off. It's just sitting mm-hmm. in your stomach. So when I woke up this morning, I'm feeling so bloated. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel gross. But uh, like, eh, I, I kind of don't regret it, though, because it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 204-780-6868. What are the things that you do that make you ask the question, why do I do this to myself? Like on that snacky note, Forte. I'm really bad with toast. If I get a craving for toast at like 8 p.m., I'll have two slices. And then sometimes I'll have two more. And then the loaf is gone. <laughs> and then I, and then on the same thing, the next morning I feel like a blimp, just like you feel like right now. But right now we want to talk about Manitoba Hydro and how they've released the much-anticipated integrated resource plan. And the document is raising some eyebrows. Yeah, the plan outlines Manitoba's future electricity needs, how the Crown Corporation plans to conserve, meter, charge, and generate more energy for our province. President and CEO of Manitoba Hydro is Jay Graywall. Things like using smart meters, which have never been introduced in Manitoba, that will allow us to use time-of-use rates. And what is time-of-use rates? Time-of-use rates is a system where the meters will allow our customers to understand when they consume electricity. And within a day, 
there'll be potentially, and again, the regulator approves this, we're regulated, but what it'll be is through time of use rates, you can choose when you want to use your electricity if you have the ability to make that choice. Byron Williams, director of the Public Interest Law Center, joins us now. And Byron, plenty to unpack from this integrated resource plan, including the aforementioned smart meters. What are the benefits and or concerns over this technology from your point of view? Um, First of all, and thanks for the interview. Uh, From our client's perspective, uh, in theory, smart meters and time of use rates are, are a way to make the system more efficient. But in practice, there's been huge challenges. There was a very damning report from the Ontario Auditor General saying that uh, the rollout in Ontario costs way more than expected and didn't deliver what was promised. And what is usually promised is shifting consumer load to different times of the day. Um, So that's a big concern. And we've been chasing a business case for Manitoba Hydro's proposed investment in smart meters and have been unable to find one. We've been asking Manitoba Hydro for it. They are not able to provide one. And that that raises big concerns. There are also huge equality concerns. Time of use rates work really well with people with a lot of money who can invest in Tesla power walls or uh, two sources of, of, of electricity. But for folks, let's say you're in uh, northern Manitoba with a poorly insulated home, uh, you can't change the time with electricity in the winter when you heat your home. If you're a single mom and busy with your kids, you're not going to be doing your laundry or your dishes at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, Kids are going to be in bed. You're going to be in bed. If you're a senior, you're not going to... uh, maybe have those choices of shifting energy in the same way. So a lot of experience in in other jurisdictions raises questions in terms of whether they deliver as much as promised and also huge equality concerns. Was there something you were hoping to see in this plan, which you didn't? Yeah, what we were hoping, this is a rapidly evolving energy marketplace, and we were looking for a plan that would give confidence in Manitoba in Manitobans, that that hydro was prepared to protect our rates and evolve with it. Instead, there's really great and significant forecasting uncertainty and gaps in this plan. We can't be confident whether they're um, they're doing enough on energy efficiency. Uh, They rely a lot on natural gas. And is that really credible in a time of climate change when there's increasing uh, federal policy restrictions? We don't know if their load forecasts can be trusted. And we were really looking for new, more innovative approaches to promising technologies like dual dual source heating pumps, which could really uh, promise ways to to, uh, respond to evolving energy needs in a more affordable manner. So what our clients find really puzzling is a really lethargic approach by Manitoba and by Manitoba Hydro. Uh, We should have had a new Efficiency Manitoba energy plan in place, a three-year plan in place in January of 2023. Instead, Efficiency Manitoba's had its plans delayed for another year. And so from our client's perspective, what we would be looking for is a sense of real urgency from Manitoba and Manitoba Hydro. Get that Efficiency Manitoba plan before the Public Utilities Board because 
it's really critical that we start saving more energy now to buy us some time. So if, if the market's changing rapidly, we need to buy time by saving energy. And really, it's important and probably critical that this so-called integrated resource plan goes back to the drawing board and develops a forecast and a plan that consumers and other Manitoban stakeholders can have confidence in. And, and we don't think that the IRP that was pr- prepared and released yesterday is one that's likely to inspire confidence. Byron, I know uh, yesterday Jay Graywall uh, mentioned uh, that, that dual source heat pumps aren't necessarily efficient. She said, don't quote me, but she, she threw out minus 10, minus 15 as a tipping point. We, we have somebody joining uh, later on this afternoon with Richard and Julie that says uh, that's balderdash. They're efficient uh, more like to minus 30. So that conversation I think is going to continue because there are people who are concerned about the lack of, of, of profile for those technologies in this plan. Manitoba Hydro is a provincially owned utility Byron, I think you and I would agree, has been politicized for years. The NDP kept rates low, which was appealing to many of us. But in the view of others, it hamstrung the hydro's revenue streams. And the current government has been working hard to discredit the utilities building spree during the past two decades. How should hydro run when it comes to balancing rate increases while building capacity and creating stronger customer service and and, and being reliable? Well, I, I think there's a few things our clients would say. First of all, we our clients led the charge in saying that hydro's approach over the last 20 years of build first and save energy later was not sustainable. Um, But from our client's perspective, the starting point is take the politics out of rate setting. Uh, We've got a very well-regarded public utilities board. Uh, Let the public utilities board make those critical decisions. Secondly, uh, 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 unnecessary financial targets like we found in Bill 36 uh, which could impose a, a, between an extra one billion and two billion in unnecessary uh, revenue revenue needs and costs upon consumers over the next twenty years. Uh, those, from our clients' perspective, should be scrapped, and then actually do innovative resource planning. That was the flaw of the previous government, and our clients would say it's the flaw of this government in, as well. Let's have a real debate about efficiency Manitoba and how we can save more, not defer public utility board hearings about it. And let's take a really critical look at these new opportunities and new technologies. And finally, transparency. The province of Manitoba paid a lot of money for a report by a gentleman by the name of Philippe Dunsky, an internationally known energy consultant who was supposed to be providing volumes of information about an energy strategy. Where's that analysis? We think Mr. Dunsky would have something really interesting to say about dual source heating pumps and other technology. Let's get that in the public domain. Byron Williams, Director of Public Interest Law Centre, joining us live on 680 CJOB. It is time for the Small Town Salute. And as we've been touting this week, there is a lot to do through southern Manitoba this weekend with festivals galore. And for this week's Small Town Salute, Greg, we're heading to Lac de Bonnie. Yeah, it's called the Fire and Water Music Festival. And Anthony Cost is the artistic director joining us now. Anthony, good morning. 
Good morning. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you, guys. Hey, you're more than welcome, and thank you. This is an annual tradition. So for many, this is sort of an August-long staple. But for anyone who's never been, what can they expect from Fire & Water? Oh, yeah, man. They can expect a great range of live music in an idyllic setting. I'm sitting here now looking out on the Winnipeg River, and our forecast is looking good. And we just aim to provide a, a safe, fun, entertaining place with uh, a range of all kinds of things from some super sweet folk music, singer-songwriter duos to sort of banging dance party bands in the evening. A little bit of bluegrass in between and uh, it's going to be a good time. And for the full lineup, by the way, you can head to fireandwater.ca and that's spelled uh, fire with a letter N, water.ca. Um Anthony, is this a festival that sees much of the community, if not maybe the whole community, get involved in some capacity? Yeah, you know, you really nailed it. And as a, I was going to say a longtime uh, community member, but, you know, I was sort of born and raised here. And after the pandemic kind of moved back here, it's really cool to be home and to see people pulling together, longtime community members, new folks in the community helping us. Uh, get sponsorship dollars, do the setup. There's so much work to do with uh, electrical and production and just coordinating the whole thing. It's uh, it's really uh, heartwarming to see the community come together and support us here, yeah. So, Anthony, physically, where are are the stages set up? Where do we go physically to, to enjoy this? Great question. Yeah, the stages are actually getting set up this morning. We've got a couple of big tents going up and one of those cool mobile stages that opens up hydraulically and all of that good stuff. And we're tucked near the boat launch in the town of Lactabonny. And uh, for those of you who want to find us on Google Maps, if you put in the Lakers Ski Club, that's the historic site that we're located at, where uh, back in the day when we used to go as kids to water ski. So the Lakers Ski Club is the spot. And it's a pretty cool little setting there. Now, Lactubani is renowned for its hospitality. I mean, anyone who's been to the Canada Day fireworks uh, raves about the Mackling. You've been to the Canada Day fireworks there, yeah? Yes, absolutely wonderful. What is it about Lactubani that helps to make these events extra special? Uh, yeah, good question. I think it's that combination, again, of the people and our setting. You know, we've got a, a cool spot, and, you know... Maybe the, it's a mix of the sort of the tourist lake vibe. You know, it's, a, it's just a fun place to come and hang and kick back with a few cool ones, uh, specifically this year with Kilter Beer, one of our sponsors who's been amazing. So, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, it's great, that combination of, of prime lake country. You know, I, I, we, we call it lake country, even though it's, you know, sort of Lee River, Winnipeg River. But if you've never been there, you would never know that you weren't on one of the greatest lakes in Western Canada. Uh, but having that service center to serve all that burgeoning lake country and cottage country is such a huge asset, isn't it, isn't it Anthony? It really is. Yeah, yeah, we love our uh, uh, community and, you know, the businesses. As I mentioned earlier, we've had so much uh, great support, too. In fact, uh, in the last handful of weeks, we've all been blown away by even when we thought our sponsorship drive was done, people are still arriving with uh, amazing gestures of cash and gift certificates to 
support us and, and look after our artists. It's, uh, it's really great. One of the artists that I'm curious about, I have to ask you about, I see that one of the bands performing is named George Foreman and the Grills. So that's a great name uh, to start, but what kind of music do they play? Oh, sure, yeah. So George Foreman uh, is just a fun play on uh, the front man's name is George Samchuk. And uh, they're just a, a, a group of young, super fun, energetic knuckleheads that are kind of, uh, I feel like they're pretty hot on the wedding band scene right now. So they're going to do everything from classic rock to some funk, some new country. It's kind of just like banger after banger with those guys, and they're, they're super fun to have. Anthony, you are really uh, making me dread the fact that I'm not going to be able to make it out there this weekend. Oh, I'm, I'm drooling over the prospect of, of the amount of fun that is to be had up in your part of the province. Uh, we have to end on this. How do you say it? Lack the bonnie? Lack, lack the bonnet? What, 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 what's oh, the go-to man, there? I've been struggling with that my whole life. It kind of you got to read the setting, you know. And so yeah, so lack the bonnie, but you know sometimes you just got to say. It's French, so some people say Lac du Bonnet, and you know, so yeah, there's no wrong answer. Just come, figure it out, survey the people. <laughs> Are there some who say Lac du Bonnet? Occasionally, yeah. Okay. Is that- you can spot a tourist pretty quick when they say it like that, I think. <laughs> exactly. Maybe an American. <laughs> uh, and there's camping uh, options as well, right? Yeah, we do. We're uh we're actually delighted that we've got so many people signing up for camping because in my experience, um, that just provi- provides a super fun part of the vibe and, and the whole thing to sort of hang out, immerse yourself in the weekend. And there's lots of good campfire jams and stuff like that in the evening too. So yeah, good times. Anthony Cost is the artistic director of the Fire and Water Music Festival. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this. It sounds like a great time and a great spot in Manitoba. We appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. And the website, once again, is fire, the letter N, water.ca. It runs from August 4th to the 6th, once again, at Lakers Ski Club. And yeah, Lac du Bonnie, just one of the countless beautiful, beautiful spots in Manitoba. I always like whenever I get out there. Of course, I go there for golf, Granite Hills Golf Club, but uh, it's just like any, I, one of those places where I would just love to sit and wander around. Pinawa, not far away. So great golf there, great town. We extol the virtues of that part of the province all the time. And uh, it's funny because I think this might be the weekend. I should have asked Anthony. I think this might be the the weekend where there's sort of this renegade concert event right on the lake. People instinctually know where this is if you're from that part of the area and you have a cottage up there. And there's a there's a stage that points at the lake and there'll be dozens of boats gathered around, people just hanging out, and there's a live band playing on the shore. Really? Yeah, it's really cool. He's still on the line. Do you want to ask him? Yeah, Anthony. You know what I'm talking about? You know this party I'm talking about with the stage that faces the water? I do. I've I've seen photos. I know legend of this party. It's weird that I haven't been, but we, uh, last year we picked up on the vibe of that and we brought in a fun uh, band from Mexico because folks like to sort of party with some of the guys from Puerto Vallarta. So that was when we had them at Fire and Water last year. That was super fun. 
And yeah, there's yeah, there's just no end of fun things like that going on this weekend. But I don't know if it's this weekend or not. Okay, but yeah, the, the location looks fantastic. Lakers Ski Club right outside of the the town there. So uh, hey, thanks for joining us, Anthony. Lots of fun, and it's going to be a great weekend. Right on. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. It is seven forty six with Mackling and McGarry. Uh, just one of the many, many awesome things to do this August long weekend. Might be of the all the long weekends in the summer. August long might be the busiest, busiest, but also the it's my, maybe my favorite. I don't know. I've had lots of great times on August long weekend. I think I have too. Yeah. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Can't quite remember. It's a little foggy in the memory banks. Just one final note on the Fire and Water Festival happening in Lactubani this weekend, the Fire and Water Music Festival. Listener Todd was asking, do you know if there are cover bands or is it only for original artists? And I texted Anthony Cost, the artistic director who spoke with us for the Small Town Salute. Says, bit of both, lots of original during the day, evenings close with covers, plus Donnie McDougal is from Lactubani. And is, was in the Guess Who for many years and will be playing many hits. And he is performing on a Saturday evening. So there you go. Lots to do in Lactabani this weekend at the Fire and Water Music Festival. One of our very loyal listeners sent me a text. Yes, Greg, that party with the stage facing the water is also this weekend. We're also asking you this morning at 204-780-6868 if you want to win Folklorama tickets, which starts on Sunday, to tell us about the why... Do I do this to myself moments? And we were referencing how Mick sometimes cuts his own hair, but then it's all uneven on the sides and the back. And I mentioned how sometimes you gotta you make a mistake when you're trimming your beard like I do. And Craig says, I made a beard mistake yesterday, and now I have six-day stubble. The first swipe of the guard wasn't on properly. Game over. First time in 12 years I can see the skin on my chin. Oh, boy. And then he, there was an addition to this, uh, the worst part, according to his spouse. Yeah, he says the worst part is my spouse of six years is at the lake. She has never seen me beardless. I texted her and said I made a huge mistake. She was like, oh, no, what happened? I sent her the pic. Her response was, LOL, are you having a 50-year-old crisis? And don't worry, you will be back to normal in a week. Yeah, those few few days suck. I shaved clean a few years ago for Halloween for the first time in several years. I dressed up like Clark Kent. So I wanted to That was to startling. That was startling walking into the newsroom to see you like that, Brett. Yeah, I hated it. And I had, I had a lot of people were telling me, "Oh, it looks great. You should keep it like that." I hated it so much. I couldn't stand it. I don't have a big burly beard or anything. I usually keep it quite trim, but I just I like to have a little bit of facial hair and uh I did not like that at all. My dad had a mustache until I uh, was in grade four. So what's that? Nine, ten? Came home one day. He he had shaved it off. Yeah. So like nine years, he'd had this one face, and then all of a sudden he had another one. That was tough. <laughs> and and he's never grown it back. So now I know his face. Without the mustache, it would be weird if he grew it back. 
But when I was a little kid, that was startling. Who are you, dude? That's right. I remember when my dad, sh- he had a mustache my whole life when we were kids. And then when he shaved it, it was it was weird. <laughs> and I also remember being at the, we for daycare, We there was a time we spent at the Y. And so my parents came to pick me up and my mom had changed her hair and gotten a bit of a perm. And I started crying because <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. Like, who are you? <laughs> It's well, like the- three years old or four years old. <laughs> just finished eating some Play-Doh. <laughs> oh, man. The things we get used to. Like, I'll shave I'll shave my face clean for the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation uh, lottery commercials. Jackie hates it. She says, I married you with a, I married you with a goatee. You shall always have a goatee. I said, oh, that's kind of interesting in your reddish uh, brown hair. Because when I married you, you were a blonde. <laughs> And how does that go over? Yeah, it's 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 a war of words after that. Those are like... Uh, <laughs> Them's fighting words? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the gloves are off at that point, <laughs> at least for a couple minutes. Tonight, 7.30, IG Field. It's the 5-2 and two Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the 6-1 and one BC Lions in a battle for best in the West. Blue Bomber fans hope to see and hear less of this. From the BC 21-yard line, three receivers left. Kalaris looking up, pressure immediately, and Matthew Betts just drops him down. Matthew Betts walked around somebody again, and he's blowing kisses to the IG Field crowd. I would feel like I'm the biggest man on earth if I had Matthew Betts' game tonight. And more of this. Four men in the line of scrimmage. They'll rush for Kolaris. Pressure from the middle. He's going to throw it. Wide open is Dembski at the 30. Nick Dembski, 70-yard touchdown. Wow, the Blue Bomber offense making it look super easy. Doug Brown with that analysis and Derek Taylor with the play-by-play pregame gets underway at 5.30 on your radio home of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Derek Taylor joins us now. And and DT, I don't expect any of it looking super easy tonight for either team. No, it certainly shouldn't be. Although, I mean, BC fans, having left here with a 30-6 to win in week number three, uh, may be thinking, hey, no reason we can't repeat that. Look at what we've done since then. Apart from the Toronto game, we absolutely lay waste to teams. They, the BC Lions defense at the moment, and we're only through seven games, is the equivalent of the 2021 Bombers defense. And that is a terrifying prospect for folks who remember just how good the Bombers were in 2021. Now, BC will be without their starting quarterback for the second full game. Dane Evans in for the injured Vernon Adams. But didn't Evans light up the Blue Bomber defense in one of Winnipeg's three regulation season losses last September in Hamilton? It was, He did, absolutely. Five touchdowns in maybe the best game that he'll ever play. And it was such a shock that night for Doug Brown and I because we remember the Grey Cups and then week, uh, whatever it was, week four of, of last season where the Bombers were able to generate so much pressure effectively and in some cases quickly that Evans just seemed to lose track of how to play football in some spots. It was incredible to watch that one night of like, oh boy, here's five touchdowns. And when you look at what BC's offense has been able to do this year, both with Vernon and with Dane last week against Edmonton, his first start, you go, 
okay, this this seems to be a scheme that is working quite well to uh, to aid Dane to be the best, you know, the five touchdown version of himself as opposed to the one touchdown, two interceptions, and generally terrorized by defensive ends version of him. So uh, BC was the best team, I think, equipped to lose their starting quarterback, and that's at least for a week what they've looked like. All right, so uh, speaking of defense and the Blue Bomber defense in particular, DT, two veteran starters return for Winnipeg tonight. Winston Rose will make his return to the secondary, and Kyrie Wilson will play in his first game since July 4th, 2022. Now, you know I'm a big fan of both these players, Derek, but I confess that I'm going to be watching their respective play for very different reasons. Yeah, for sure. Rose is a guy who had some real struggles last season, uh, but he goes back into the lineup in place of the rookie Abu Dharami Soiree. Coach O'Shea saying on the coach show, hey, you know what? He's a veteran and he's played very well in this league. He's been one of the top corners in this league. And so, you know, he goes back into the time where they they need some some help defensive back in the back six uh, because we've seen receivers running open and we've saw you know, 70-yard touchdown catch, whatever it was, 75-yard touchdown catch last week against Edmonton. Okay, there's a reason to to look for some veteran help. The Kyrie Wilson one has me super excited. Just from the way you guys talk about Kyrie and his abilities, he's big and he's fast and he's smart and he's able to, to really erase some things that offenses are trying to do. One for, hey, here's what Kyrie can do, and there's some things that we'll talk about in the pregame show, but two, what the return of Kyrie may allow some other guys to do. Well, if Kyrie can do all this, in my mind, I think, well, what will they then let Adam Big Hill do? Because Big Hill can drop into coverage and terrorize receivers, or Big Hill can be a shifty blitzer and pick his gaps and terrorize quarterbacks. And oh, by the way, Brandon Alexander as well, right? If Kyrie can do some stuff, can B.A. get a chance to do some more things? So the ripple effects, in addition to his own contribution of Kyrie's return, uh, are really fascinating for me tonight. Now, after scoring 40-plus points in their first two games this season, the Blue Bombers have not scored more than 28 points in their last five games, averaging just 20.6 points per game since June 22nd. And if you take away a special teams touchdown versus Calgary, the offense is scoring just under 19 points a game. So how bothersome is that? Uh, quite because it was it was the BC Lions who first and Greg can tell you absolutely cracked me on the oh this is the best of this could be the best offense that we've ever seen in the world and oh my gosh uh, it just it hasn't been the same since those week one and two games uh, that you mentioned and this is I mean the BC Lions uh, are really really strong defensively the only team to allow fewer than a hundred points so far through seven games they're allowing offensively to the other team's offense, they're allowing fewer than 12 points per game, which is uh, just a, a titanic number to be that that dominant against some other teams. And had they not gotten absolutely whacked by Toronto in their one loss, uh, that number would be ridiculously low. So it's, it's going to take something special from the Bombers' offense to be able to get through this BC defense because, man, that front six, let's even go the front four, those, de- those defensive linemen, you heard it in the lead in there terrorized the Bombers offense really good linebackers and perhaps the most veteran back six of defensive backs in the Canadian football league so yeah it's it's going to be a real challenge I think it's one the Bombers can can handle because 
there's still Kenny Lawler and there's still Dalton Schoen and Nick Dembski and Drew Wolitarski and on and on and on. And they can run the ball in spots. And Kolaris is still the best quarterback in the Canadian Football League. So uh, it, it could be, I, it's got to be better than 30 to 6 back in week number three. It's just, it's just got to. Derek, I admonish you from time to time for your outlandish predictions, <laughs> and that's something that you and I have had going for a couple of years now, but I'm going to make one of my own. I'm going to say oh, that no. if the Blue Bombers don't win tonight, you can kiss first place in the West goodbye. Well, and and that's a reality, and it, 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 it on one level, it sounds kooky to say that, right, because, well, there's still 10 games left, but this is how it would work. BC would win the season series. And they would be two wins ahead of the Bombers through eight games. So you kick that forward and go, in their final 10 games, the Bombers would have to win three more games than the BC Lions do. And when you watch these BC Lions, even without their starting quarterback, at spells even without their two best receivers, you go, is there any way that BC, you can actually win three more games than, than the BC Lions, like three more games that they they have to care about. And I just don't think it's possible. They would have to win only seven of 10 and you would have to win 10 of 10 if you're the Bombers. That just is improbable at best. So I'm, I'm 100% with you, Greg, that uh, if the Bombers don't win, that uh, they're on the road for the West Final, which is a major disadvantage as we've talked about a few times. Number one seeds go to the Grey Cup more than 60% of the time since 2000. Major advantage. So that makes tonight's game even more important and more exciting and even more reason to listen tonight. Oh, I'm amped up for this game tonight. I cannot wait. DT, 5.30 pregame coverage. Give us a little bit of a hint what people will hear in the lead up to the kickoff. Well, we'll talk about Kyrie Wilson's return, obviously. We're going to get Doug Brown, the Hall of Famer's, take on what makes this this uh, BC defensive line so good and potential changes the Bombers will have to make to not allow seven sacks. Once again, uh, Greg Mackling, of course, will be with us. Uh, we've got a special, uh, special segment for Greg to take care of that he doesn't know of quite yet, which I'm excited about. Our blast from the past, the film room. Uh, man, all the numbers, all the facts, uh, all the recap of week number three on, as you say, Greg, an enormous enormous game. The whole cast is out for tonight. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers joining us live on 680 CJOB. Derek, thank you. Thank you. Once again, pregame show at 5.30 kickoff, 7.30 on your radio home of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 680 CJOB. The why do I do this to myself moments that you have. Like Shannon G., who lives out of town, says, I always feel like I don't walk my dog enough, so each night I'll get home after work and decide I'm going to take him, take the dog for a walk. We head down the street and hope that we don't see any other dogs off-leash. Well, every time I hope that it's going to be true, we always run into at least one or two dogs, not on leash. They come running at us. My dog is a 60-pound American Pitbull Terrier, so we're running down the street back home being chased by these off-leash dogs, not because my dog is scared, because if I turn and stop, my dog will attack. And every time it happens, I say, I'm never taking my dog for a walk again. And then the next week, I do it all over again, thinking these dog owners will be more responsible and keep their dogs in the yard. Seems as though I'm a glutton for punishment. 
That's not an ideal situation. No. By any stretch of the imagination. My goodness. Yeah, what are these owners doing? Like, get get your dogs on a leash or in the yard. That's nuts. And Daryl, I imagine, Greg, perhaps you can re- you can relate to Daryl F. <laughs> I can. Every time I restart or take apart a project I'm working on, I ask myself, why do I put myself through this? I enjoy working on the projects the first time, but not the second or third. I say this to my kids all the time, Brett. It's hard enough to get something done the first time around once you get together all the materials and the tools and gather the energy to get the project done. But there's nothing, nothing worse than undoing your work and having to do it a second or a third time because you haven't done it properly the first. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is the worst thing of all. Yeah. Like Daryl went on to say, because I asked, well, what prompts you to restart or take apart? And he says, yeah, it's just something always goes wrong. It's usually a stupid mistake on my part, and I eventually get it right. So then it's on to the next frustrating project. <laughs> I am a sucker for punishment. See, this is one of the re- one of the reasons why, or one of the times where I'm glad I'm not handy, because I just don't even bother trying, because I know I'll screw it up. Yeah, well, you can be handy, uh, you can be handsome, but you can't be both. <laughs> and I'm neither, so... Uh, but you tell us a story for a chance to win, and we're going to pick a winner at 9.15. And by the way, our question of the day at cjob.com is, uh, as the strike and lockouts continue at MLCC locations, is it time to allow grocery stores to start selling beer, wine, and spirits? And so far, we've got sixty, just under 66% who say yes and 34% say no. So you can still cast your vote on that. We're going to update that. Uh, at some point this morning. But I personally don't like the idea of alcohol in the grocery store just for the prospect of going through all of that theft insanity all over again. Because adding those security doors at a liquor store, I got no problem with that. At a grocery store, not that's gonna not going to work. Not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Although they, I know that the, the, the Safeway in my neighborhood... They, they've got two, lots of Safeways have two entrances. They, they usually used to shut the, the one that's closer to uh, Osborne, like closer to the shoppers at eight or even nine. Now they close it at seven. Oh, that's interesting. And they've got a big hulking security guard waiting outside the other primary door all the time. No, that's just started in the last few days. So are they sort of screening people before they go in? I think trying he's to there pick to, out the troublemakers. What do you what do you think's going on? There? I think he's there to prevent people from from getting away with their their stolen goods. That's interesting. Yeah. So feel free to let us know if you're seeing stuff like that at other grocery stores in Winnipeg. Right now, we want to discuss how the latest inductees into the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame have been announced. And as usual, the list of pending inductees represents an impressive group athletic achievement. This year's class encompasses six sports, including three individual athletes, two builders, and one team. Swimmer Kelly Steffenson, Blue Bomber legend Milt Stiegel, Brent Bottomley from the world of cross-country skiing, Alex Gardner for his role in developing the top track and field talent in our province and across the country, and the 1965 Terry Brownstein curling rink who won the Briar that year. 
Our next guest is not only the first Manitoban to capture the Provincial Marathon gold, but took home the title in consecutive years, 1997 and 1998. Before these victories, this individual finished as the top Manitoban twice in the competition, 1996, 1992 and 1996, and was also a four-time Edmonton Marathon winner and staged clinics for road running for both the Manitoba Marathon and Run for the Cure. Chris Glowak, athlete, long-distance running, joins us now live on CJOB. Chris, good morning. Good morning, you two. So how did you find out that this honor was coming your way? Well, it was back in June. I got, uh, got notice that I was um, fortunate enough to be inducted, so I had to keep it very, very hush-hush until yesterday. I basically, my wife and two boys and my brother-in-law and his wife and uh, that was about it that really knew who, who that I was going in until yesterday. What an incredible and a most worthy honor, Chris. And when you look back at your running endeavors, which accomplishment makes you smile the most? Um, I always tell people that in the clinics I've taught and the hundreds and maybe thousands of people I've taught and uh, spoke to, crossing the finish line for the first time in 1979, the very first Manitoba marathon. Um, still the, probably the most significant one in my life. Um, because you, when I talk, talk to people about accomplishing a goal of running a marathon or a half marathon or a 5k, whatever it is, you know, you can't take that back crossing it for the first time. And especially to do it in your home province was pretty special. So then what inspired you to participate and ultimately excel in such a physically punishing pursuit? Um, basically because I was terrible in every other sport. Um, <laughs> I really, I think back in high school, I, people joked that, or I, maybe I said it was my least favorite sport was, or least favorite subject was gym or phys ed, which was kind of ironic. And I, basically then I think I've, my wife, actually, my wife and I met in high school, and her and her father were runners and cross-country skiers, so I kind of had to do it. And then um, somewhere I read something about running. Running has no skills. You put one foot in front of the other and repeat. And uh, I thought, well, I can, I can at least do that. So that's how I got involved. I didn't really start running until I was in university. How would and how do you think – your junior high and high school classmates are reacting now to learn. I mean, obviously you've been on, on stage and your athletic prowess has been something Manitobans have known about for decades now, but this idea that you're going into the sports hall of fame, I, I think you touched on it there. Ironic seems to be the word there somewhat. Well, they probably most, the ones that haven't seen me for a while, probably just see the name and say, that's not the same Chris Glowak. If my name was more common, um, it would probably be just wow. It's not the same one that we went to. That went to uh, Viscount Alexander or Vincent Massey with. So um, I guess because my name is not that common. Uh, I just had coffee with a couple friends just now and reminisced about uh, about you know my past and how I really accomplished something. I never really took up running to be to win anything. I just took it up for physical fitness and stress relief, and then because my wife and father-in-law did it. So, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it is pretty ironic. So, Chris, many will know about your advocacy for those in our community who are visually impaired. Talk about your journey on that front. 
yeah, I lost my vision in uh, in one eye in 2000 and, uh, 2002, and the second eye on a flight from Minneapolis to uh, Amsterdam. I was taking a group of uh, people to run a marathon in, in Flanders Fields, and I completely lost my vision, like totally. When I got off the plane, instead of looking after the group, they had to start looking after me. Thank goodness when I got home, I regained a little bit of vision. So I see about 20%. So um, I've been fortunate to pretty much do everything I've wanted to do since then. And, um, you know, I'm proud of what my wife and I have accomplished. I'm more proud almost of what I've, well, actually, I'm more proud of what I accomplished as a coach and a mentor over the years. My wife and I started the very first running room in the city in 1993, and I'm, more proud of I'm actually consider myself more of a builder than a than an athlete because I look at the names of people going in and like I don't have any of the accomplishments that some of these other people on that over the years have been that are in the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame so so it's a great honor just to see just to even see the people that were at the interview yesterday What's a, go ahead Brett I was just going to say when it comes to running uh, you you say you started it because you just weren't really great at any other sport, but you know I, I hate running, <laughs> uh, but I, I I understand the 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 health benefits to it, the physical and uh, mental be- benefits that one can glean from it. So I don't know any tips for somebody who who maybe would like to run but is in the position I'm in where they also hate it. Um, yeah. uh, you know what? I, I love, I love golf too. I can't really do it much anymore. I'm, my vision, plus I have a, a bad hip. I'm waiting to get a hip replacement, but, um, I love golf. Um, my, my, when I've taught people in clinics, I always tell them the story of my first finishing for the first time. And I always say to people, you know, dream it, believe it, achieve it. Anything is possible. And it's quite funny. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, actually ran a marathon once in Chicago and she in her book, I believe her book or I read somewhere where she always said running is the greatest metaphor in life. You only get out of it what you put in it. And that's what I teach my people. You know, my, your goal may not, everyone's got a different goal, you know, running a marathon when you're 50, maybe running a 5k or just putting, just running one minute and walking a minute, just, you know, do what you can do and, you know, you'll get there. Congratulations, Chris. Well-deserved. We appreciate you as a human being, your accomplishments uh, on the road in the marathon world and coaching and inspiring others is just another level to your humanity. And we appreciate uh, you interacting with us as often as you do. Uh, Congratulations, Chris. Well, thanks for all your support, you guys. I'm Greg and Brett. Have a great day. Chris Glowak joining us live on 680 CJOB going into the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame as an athlete in long-distance running. Hey, heads up for Swifties. Some breaking news coming out of Toronto this morning. Taylor Swift is going to perform six shows at Toronto's Rogers Centre next year in uh, November after a previous announcement left Canada off her era's tour. So... Six shows in Toronto, no word on anywhere else in Canada. Mm-hmm. But that's not that far on a plane. It's not. I imagine there'll be lots of people. I'm trying to do the math here. Probably about 300,000 fans for six shows, 300 bucks a pop. Yeah, only just $90 million in ticket revenue. <laughs> 
<laughs> Imagine that. She is a behemoth of economic activity. We're asking you for your why do I do this to myself moments inspired by the fact that the other day my contact lens was driving me nuts. And did I replace it and put in a new one the next day? No. So then it drove me nuts again yesterday. And uh, it could be something that you deal with every day or maybe something a bit more specific. Like Liz is one of our runners up here who says I've been cutting my husband's hair for over 40 years and I'm pretty fussy about how it looks. So this one day he comes home from work and asks me to buzz his hair. Well, I must have been on stupid pills that day because I did it. And when it was all said and done, I hated it. I thought to myself, why do I, why did I do that to myself? Because now I have to look at his ridiculous hairstyle until it grows back. I told him, don't ever ask me to do that again. And he didn't. Well, it's like uh, the frames of my glasses. You know, Jackie will say, well, do you like them? Do you, do you? It doesn't matter to me what they look like. I'm not looking at them. <laughs> right? I should be asking you, Loren, and Jackie, do you like my glasses frames or not? Because you're the ones that have to look at them. Not me. I'm just looking through them. But Greg, Henry Pauls is our winner today. For the past 20 years, I have spent a lot of time on the highways driving with my thoughts. I would dwell a lot on the negative periods of my life, beating myself up, regrets, what I could have done differently. Then I realized, why am I doing this to myself? Train my mind to focus more on the positive. Change your thoughts. Change your life. At the same time, I decided to interact with the start to relive some of the positive memories. Henry, that was very thought-provoking and not at all where we expected this to go, but that's why we do these, because you will often take us in different directions, and we love it, and we thank you all for participating. And uh, one of the reasons I particularly enjoyed this from Henry is uh, this is, I can totally relate to this. I used to, when I used to get in the car, I'd turn up the music super loud and I'd have a great drive. And for whatever reason, in recent years, I often just drive in silence and I do the exact same thing. I reflect on all this negative stuff. I'll have those, you ever have the argument in the car with someone, the things that, like, like Costanza, jerk store, jerk store is the line. I'll do that. I'll have those like pseudo arguments that I wish I could have gotten better or that I wish I could have. Like I want, I got a bone to pick with you. Just as long as you're not getting on the plane to Dayton, Ohio, <laughs> to try and drop a line on somebody, I think that's super normal. But I hear you loud and clear. And Henry, you have some great stories. We appreciate it immensely. So have fun at Folklorama, Henry. What's up? We have our new question of the day at cjob.com. Manitoba Hydro is discussing the possibility of new smart meters. Should they install meters which allow them to charge different rates based on time of day? Your options are yes, long overdue, maybe, I need to know more, or no, this hasn't worked very well elsewhere. Cast your vote at cjob.com. This is part of the headline at globalnews.ca. 87-year-old fought-off teenage home intruder. Let's take a listen to the rest of the story from Brunswick, Maine, which gets better, if you can believe it. I woke up to see a male standing over me by my bed telling me he was going to cut me. A terrifying start to the day for 87-year-old Marjorie Perkins. I jumped out of bed, got my shoes on real fast because they don't have ties, and I was ready to kick. Her intruder quickly learned he had picked the wrong home to break into. 
Thinking fast, Marjorie says she picked up the only thing nearby. I grabbed my chair and uh, he grabbed me by the shoulders and pushed me against the wall and so forth. So I took my chair and I kept hitting him. Having had enough of Marjorie's beating, she says the young man headed for the kitchen. He said he was very hungry, so I gave him crackers and peanut butter. While he was eating, Marjorie took the chance to call police. The intruder inside her home on Beverly Drive, police say, is a juvenile who is staying just a few blocks away. You just don't think it's going to happen in your neighborhood, and here it is. Uh, so it's surprising. The incident shocking those who live nearby. Looking over her home after Marjorie says the young man must have got in through this back window. And this was pushed way over. No doubt a terrifying experience. But Marjorie says there's no need to have sympathy. Don't sit and cry about it. If it comes up again, do it again. Be ready to kick and then pick up a chair and hit somebody with it. <laughs> so there you go. Sat him down, gave him some crackers and peanut butter, called the cops. The 87-year-old is a former elementary school teacher. She's taught line dancing for the last 25 years to stay active. And uh, perhaps that's her secret to defending oneself against young attackers. Wow. That's weird. So the kid just wanted some food, threatens her. But then uh, she, so she feeds him and then calls the cops. Yep. <laughs> Would you feed an intruder? No, but I guess, you know, her, her philosophy was, you know, uh, conflicts are resolved more easily with a full stomach. You know, how many times you sit down and have a meal with uh, family or friends and the best conversation is had. And sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's also resolution. So, yeah, this is just uh, another example of not only a crime in our community, but uh, a shocking way that this woman de-escalated the situation. Outstanding story uh, from Maine, just across the line in Brunswick, Maine, from uh, Quebec. If you want to watch that story at cjob.com or globalnews.ca, uh, just look for the headline, 87-year-old woman fights off home intruder, feeds him snacks. Also just wanted to, we haven't discussed this yet this morning, but the uh, the Trudeau separation, and uh, we realize that you've heard a lot about it already over the last 24 hours or so, um, 18 hours or so, I guess, whatever. But yeah, be, to have to go public with something like that, I remember this is obviously not the same scale. This is the prime minister we're talking about here. It's close. It's similar, Brad. But when I was engaged... In 2013, and our relationship ended, normally I would have just kept that quiet and people who are close to me would have learned about it and eventually others would learn about it. But I had to be a bit more public about it. I remember that that night, like once we made the decision together to part ways, I had to go on Facebook and put up a post saying, hey, um, just so you know, we've decided to end our relationship and I'm not making a big deal out of this because I'm looking for sympathy, but many of you have purchased social tickets from me because my social was a week later. So I had to take this immediate action to let people know that that social ain't happening. And if you, and I'll get you your money back. I, I every person who bought tickets from me, I had a list of how many tickets they bought. And then I had to do the same thing at work. So, and I think, I, I think at work it was even more embarrassing because I, 
It was sort of like doing this walk of shame going around saying, do you want your money back? Or here's your money. Some people were like, don't just keep the money. Some people sort of awkwardly accepted it back. Uh, Cause what do you do in that situation? I've never had someone say, hi, you bought a ticket for my social. I'm not getting married. Here's your money back. <laughs> so the whole public aspect of announcing that you've broken up with someone sucks. So you are uh, identifying with the prime minister a little bit over the last 24 hours. My question that bounces around in my head, is it a big deal? I don't think uh, Sophie and, and Justin were uh, like, a, they're not necessarily a package deal mm-hmm. in terms of our political choice. Uh, maybe for some, one of the reasons why they can handle or, or put up with the prime ministers because maybe they do like his wife and her persona and the things that she does in the greater community. I'm not sure. But when it comes to these uh, highly public people and their status of their relationship, I, I'm typically very disinterested yeah. in such things. It's not a big deal to me. You know, it's 50-50. We know what the divorce rate is. We know what the statistics are. It's a big deal. To some, yes. To me, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean that whole that that whole wholesome family image does matter to a lot of people and I know they do you remember when they tried to soften Stephen Harper's image, put him in those blue sweaters, put him in the commercials where he's sitting, I think he was sitting by a fire or I can't remember, but he was doing these very wholesome commercials uh, to try to soften his image and no one bought it. It didn't last long because they realized this isn't working. I th- you know, he didn't get in because of his wholesome family image. He got in because people wanted to, he was more of a no-nonsense kind of guy. And at the time, that's what that was the appetite. Sure. And it was pure policy for the most part. The one, the one celebrity where I had a little bit of a problem was the Tiger Woods situation. That was obviously as public as it got. The police were called in that initial breakup. Uh, there was a very public apology from Tiger Woods, awkward as it was. And and I think the public deserved a little bit to know a little bit more because of how Tiger Woods had been marketed. He was marketed to kids, emulate me. Uh, I am Tiger Woods, I think, was a Nike commercial and slogan for years. So when you're marketing, not just the in this case, the athletic exploits of an individual. Yeah. And you're playing on the personality side, I think then the public is entitled to know a little bit more. And then perhaps it's a larger deal than it might otherwise be. You know, Michael Jordan got divorced. You never saw his wife in in any of his commercials. Although, mm, be like Mike. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that was a huge, like Mike. I was just singing that the other day on the golf course because I was putting. I want to be. Yeah, because one of the guys I was playing with is Mike. So I. Uh, the last time we played, he was putting, shooting the lights out with his putter. And then this round, it was me doing that. And uh, so I said, like Mike, if I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. So that's my, you know, take on this whole celebrity or, you know, people in the public eye and their marital or their relationship status. What's yours? 204-780-6868. Yeah, and I know we've had some people point out, hey, wasn't it, uh, and it was it was pointed out in the story as well, the last prime minister to separate was his dad. Oh, good right? point. Good point. Um, that was really public. But I think I, there was a Rolling Stone. Mick Jagger might have been involved. Oh, yeah? Uh, once upon a time. <laughs> but I don't mind the, uh, 
I don't have personally. I don't have a problem with this at all, and I don't have a problem with politicians who are maybe divorced or whatever. Just because you are your relationship to, didn't work isn't going to make you a bad politician. And in fact, that to me, that just shows some humanity. Like they're just yeah, we, they they're they're running for this position, but they're still people. Dealing yep. with their own stuff. And and sometimes kids, it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work. There's kids involved. And uh, let's uh, give the last word on this uh, for Cat, at least to Cat, at least for now. I don't think it matters whether you're a prime minister or a gas jockey. Losing your primary relationship hurts like hell. I don't like Trudeau, but I empathize with the whole family. It's never easy. All right, Cat, thank you for that.